The game of the week in the Pac-12 is Washington and UCLA. They do battle tonight in Los Angeles down at the Rose Bowl. But what about the games coming this weekend? Lots of good action coming up in the Pac-12 slate in week four and week two of a full conference schedule. Let's go. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view of the day if you're watching on YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show so you can continue to stay up to date with our beloved Pac-12 as long as it exists, which... Who knows? You just never know. The future remains uncertain, but what is certain is that today's episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Sign up on underdogfantasy.com with the promo code Locked On and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. And I've got Carter Baines with me again here on a Friday, senior editor and writer at beaverblitz.com. And Carter, let's just hop right into it because the the fans and listeners of the show should know you by now and i want to start with your oregon state beavers because they're on the road at utah i I thought about putting this in the pac-12 prime picks which will be back in the final segment of today's show per usual here on a friday and i I just kind of decided against it because you know i i feel more confident in utah going into this game oregon state an emotional disappointment in a game they should have had against USC last week. Now they have to go on the road to a place where I don't see anybody winning this season. And that's Salt Lake city where the, the Utes play host to a bevy of opponents and haven't lost in quite some time. How are you feeling for Oregon state going into this one? Well, you opened the show saying that UCLA Washington might be the PAC 12 game of the week, but I think it's, it's close between that one and Oregon state, Utah. I mean, last week, I said Oregon State USC was probably the game of the week in the conference, and and I look at this as a very similar matchup where you've got a hot Oregon State team, even coming off of a loss. I mean, this Beaver squad is is still three and one, and and looks like it's ready to compete with just about everybody in the Pac-12 versus a highly ranked Pac-12 team in Utah in a game that I think is as far as you know, the end of the season Pac-12 standings and the Pac-12 title race goes. I, I think this does have some implications there particularly on Oregon State's end, where the Beavers have a loss under their belt now in conference play. And as you know, if if you're going to get into that Pac-12 title game under this new structure, you're not going to be able to lose more than one or two games in conference play. So I think this, as far as Oregon State's concerned, in reaching its goal of getting to Las Vegas in December, uh, I think this is probably close to a must win for the Beavers. Yeah, I'm with you that you can't have more than two. I think you could have uh, two Pac-12 losses if other things shape out the way that that you would particularly or potentially need them to. And I feel that way even more strongly now than I would have said a few weeks ago because the conference is looking really strong. And other than Oregon against Georgia and Florida knocking off Utah, the Pac-12 performed, I think, better than expected in uh, the non-conference slate and there are a lot of teams Washington among them who are are clearly back and and are a contender in the conference this year Oregon State has taken a step forward from a season ago Washington State has done the same and you had ideas coming into this year that 
yeah, the conference would, would be good. You'd have these teams. They'd be solid. But in my view, I think some of those programs look e- even better than, than I expected. Washington, of course, a couple jumps of where I thought they'd be in year one with with their new coach. But looking at this game for, for Oregon State, Carter, Utah is just a tough team because they can defend. Kyle Weddingham's a defensive coach. They can run the football. They've got some weapons. They've got Cam Rising, a quarterback, reigning first-team All-Pac-12 performer. If Oregon State's going to win this game, what do you think that looks like? How does the game play out that results with the Beavers coming back to Corvallis and getting that desired split against USC and Utah? Very similar to last week and and how we saw that play out with Oregon State falling by three to USC at home. I think the script for Oregon State in that game is very similar to the way that they would potentially beat a, a team like Utah in that Oregon State's defense showed out against USC. I mean, that was a Trojans team that was averaging, what, 50-plus points a game? Yep. Um, 550-ish yards per game, and, and the Beavers held them to 17 points and about 350 yards. So, I mean, I I don't really think you can ask much more of that Oregon State defense, getting all sorts of pressure on Caleb Williams. Of course, they didn't bring him down very often, but who's going to against a a Heisman caliber quarterback in in Caleb Williams? And uh, I I think, you know, rendering Jordan Addison relatively ineffective until that final drive, you know, that's the kind of of defensive game plan uh, that the Beavers are going to need to take to Salt Lake City. Get to the quarterback, contain the pocket, don't let him beat you too much with his legs, um, and and render those those um, those receivers ineffective. And I think that would be enough to take Utah's offense out of the game. And then at that point, it's just a matter of can Oregon State hold on to the ball offensively? Because last week it was the four interceptions that cost the Beavers that game. And if Chance Nolan holds on to it a little bit better this week and the defense plays to the level that it did a week ago, I think Oregon State very well can and and in that case probably would win this game. Chance Nolan has improved in some respects from what he was as a quarterback a year ago, which was a solid quarterback that you can win games with. But you and I were talking here on the show coming into the season about how he needed to be more consistent, had to take care of the ball. He showed that through the first few weeks. And then the interception bug came at the worst time in a bad way against the Trojans last week, and he gives it up four times through the air. What did you see from him last week that caused him to be kind of the the, the worst version of himself that up until that point we hadn't seen this season? Well, frankly, I I don't think all of it was on Chance Nolan's shoulders. I I think a lot of it came down to the pocket protection, too. Uh, We've talked ad nauseum about Oregon State's offensive line and, and how strong it is, how strong it was last year, and how we expected it to be about the same this year. Uh, For the most part, that has been the case, but USC got a decent amount of pressure on Nolan. And when you saw him throw the ball to the Trojans, it was oftentimes, you know, he's he's avoiding uh, avoiding pressure. He's trying to throw it away. Um, You know, he's under duress. One of them in particular, uh, he was he was kind of thrown from his back foot and airmailed it a little bit. And and that was because he had a couple of guys in his face. And so I think. you know, while obviously Chance has to make better decisions and he has to execute those throws um, uh, a, a little bit better, a lot of it did come down to the offensive line just not giving him a whole lot of time to work um, throughout the night. So, again, Chance has to be better, but I, I think there was more to it than just his inability to to put the ball on the money. I think Utah is going to win, and and I do think they'll cover. I don't feel strongly about it enough to put them in this week's edition of of the Pac-12 Prime Picks, but that's where I would lean. The line sitting around 10, 10 and a half. 
And that's not an indictment on Oregon State. I think that's just a case of Utah being a really good football team. I didn't think they'd lose at home all year coming into the season. I still feel that way after watching them through uh, a few weeks. I think Oregon State hangs around in this one. I don't think it gets ugly, but I think you could see the Utes have uh, a late touchdown or a field goal to win by uh, somewhere in the 14 to 17 point range. But I expect the Beavers to make it interesting. I just think Utah is going to be able to last longer. And emotionally, I think the Utes are in a better place because the Beavers have to be sensing some sense of uh, disappointment right, with how that game played out, to fight that hard, to play that well, to give yourself that chance and to come up short and to then have to go on the road and hear 50,000-plus screaming fans in your face every time something goes against your team. I think it's a really difficult spot to be in. So I, I like the Utes in this game to win and cover. How do you feel? Yeah, that's got to be one of the the most daunting home field advantages in the Pac-12, I think, with the student section, uh, you know, you're playing at, at elevation, too. I think there's a lot of factors that go into that uh, that makes Rice-Eccles such a difficult place to play. We actually saw that kind of at Reeser last week, too. I mean, USC looked all out of sorts. Uh, there were miscommunications before the snap. Uh, the Trojans actually burned all three timeouts very early on. Uh, and and took a delay of game in the in the second quarter because they ran out of timeout. So we know how much home field advantage plays a role in these Pac-12 games. And I think for Oregon State to go to Salt Lake City, that's a very tough spot to try to bounce back from a disappointing loss because, like you said, it was emotionally draining. And, and the Beavers felt crushed after that game. I mean, it they said that it stung, which you want it to. You know, you, you want it to to mean a lot to these guys, and it does. And and for a guy like Brandon Kipper who who uh, who took the microphone after the game, you know, you, you could sense the passion in his voice. And and he's one of those leaders that throughout the week has been telling his team, hey, we've got a big time opportunity this week to bounce back with with a huge win that, you know, probably not a whole lot of people are are expecting to see us come out with. So um, I, I have heard throughout the week that that the leadership on this team has has really stepped up and and you have seen guys um with with level heads and and saying hey we've we've got an opportunity to bounce back here do you think the bees can get it done I'm, i wouldn't predict it i wouldn't predict it but i wouldn't be entirely shocked if they did just because like i said i i mean they they laid the blueprint last week against usc for all intents and purposes they probably should have won that game you know if chance nolan holds on to the ball a little bit better the beavers win that by a touchdown or more um, so I think they have proven that they have what it takes and, and that they know how to win games like this. And uh, it's it's just a matter of executing it. And again, it's a very tough spot going on the road when you just lost like that. Um, but I think I think they have enough to, to do it. Um, I just I mean, again, I just I, I wouldn't predict it, but I think it'll be close. I wouldn't be completely caught off guard if that happens, but. I, I feel pretty confident in Utah going to this, this one, mostly because it's at home. I know Oregon State beat them last year, but that's all the more reason that I think I feel kind of confident in Utah is you have guys on that roster who remember, yeah, this is the one Pac-12 team that got us a year ago. And I think that that sort of motivation will, will play into it as well. So I, I like the Utes there and Oregon State's just got to fight their way through, keep the keep the culture in a positive direction as they get into conference play, because they've got other tough games, but they've also got a lot of winnable games coming up once they uh, get through Utah this week after USC a week ago, which is about as tough a stretch as you can have in uh, in the Pac-12, especially when you're at Utah. 
What about the rest of the games in the Pac-12? We'll get to all of those after our mining episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to spice up the college football season. You can bet individual player props over passing yards, over rushing yards, under, over, whatever you want. You can find all sorts of amazing action for your team each week. It's easy to play. It's available in over 30 states. Just pick between two and five players across any team doesn't have to just be your team inside if they will finish higher or lower. It's one of the easiest fantasy to play games out there and you can win cold, hard cash in a single game. If you think chance Nolan will be over a certain passing yard total, then you could bet that you could bet him under cam rising, Tavion Thomas, all these guys in the pack 12, you can find them all at underdog fantasy sign up with the promo code locked on one word and underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. You deposit $100, they give you $100 for free. Go to underdogfantasy.com or find the Underdog Fantasy app in the App Store or Google Play Store. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code locked on, one word. Get in on the college football pick'em action today. So, Carter, later tonight, as this episode drops, Washington and UCLA are going to do battle in what will be I think the best game uh, of the week, certainly the most important game of the week. And I talked on yesterday's show with Zach Anderson, Yoxheimer of Locked On UCLA Bruins about how I think it's more important for UCLA because they're in year five. And Washington, yeah, they, they have high hopes for this season after the, the electrifying 4-0 start in which they have looked crisp every single week that they have taken the field under this staff. But to me, there's still a little bit more of an element of of house money there for Kalen DeBoer and company, right? Where if Washington goes into Los Angeles and loses this game, n- no one's panicking or asking questions, right? It's just a minor road bump. If Chip Kelly and UCLA lose this game, you look around and go, these is, these are the sort of ones you are hired to come in and be able to win. That's how I feel going into it. What about you? Yeah, totally a make or break season for Chip Kelly. And I don't think we've been particularly inspired by what UCLA has done to this point. I nope. mean, struggling against South Alabama and just narrowly pulling that out. Um, I, I'm blanking on who they opened the season with, but it was another, you know, lower division team. Bowling Green. They, yes, Bowling Green. Thank you. They, you know, and they, they were down. down they, they were down, down in that game. Seven. For, yeah. Yeah. They were, they were down for quite a while. And so I think, you know, you go into Pac 12 play with a team like that and you say, well, I mean, what are what are the expectations at this point for UCLA and in what is what Dorian Thompson Robinson's 20th season down there in L.A.? I mean, Chip Kelly's knocking on the door of of getting fired if, if things go south. And and this it has the feeling of one of those games where if UCLA loses. I mean, they could lose that fan base if, if they haven't already. You know, they could they could lose. um they could lose the culture in that locker room if, if they lose a game like this, where I, I think, you know, to your point, it is a game that that you expect Chip Kelly to win and, and a team with as much talent as the Bruins have uh, to take care of business at home. That being said, I mean, is is anyone going to be at the Rose Bowl to even watch this? I mean, UCLA is literally giving away free tickets. I, I saw their athletic director go on, on Twitter and um, – post one of those, you know, fake letters to your boss saying, hey, give so-and-so the day off so they can come to the Rose Bowl and watch this game. I mean, they're doing everything they can to get fans in that stadium, but nobody is supporting this team anymore. And um, to get some of that back, this is the kind of game you have to win. They've had about 30,000, give or take a couple uh, thousand through three games in the Rose Bowl this year. It is worth noting that they had, I mean, they're not going to fill it up. That's not... 
something. Not even USC ha- has been filling up the Coliseum with Lincoln Riley there and all the, the hype and expectations and hope, frankly, that, that he's brought to the Trojans program since becoming their head coach. But UCLA last year had somewhere around like 60,000 in the stadium for the LSU game. I think if you can put up that sort of number, you feel better about it for UCLA, but it's still not going to be the most rabid environment. And I think that's an advantage for Washington because the Huskies have played four games in a row in the cozy confines of Husky Stadium, which, as you alluded to with Rice Eccles at Utah, one of the toughest venues, probably the most beautiful venue as well in the Pac-12. And now they have to go on the road for the first time. But it's not like they're going to Rice Eccles or to Pullman or to Autzen or even down to, to Reeser or anything like that. They have, or, or heck, even Tempe can get crazy when, when ASU is actually good. They're not this year. Of course, everything is completely falling apart, and they're looking for a new head coach. But it's one of the the quieter road environments that you're going to be in, and I think that's a big thing for Washington that, yeah, you have to you, you know be at a hotel, wake up in a different place, change your routine, and that sort of stuff feels different. But for the actual game, I think it's noteworthy that they're not going to deal with you know, necessarily the most hostile crowd that feels like they're right on top of you or anything like that, because it'll feel even if they put 50 to 60,000 in there, it's not going to feel like more. Right. Some of these same like Reeser Stadium was what, 26,000 on Saturday. It looked and sounded like 70, but it's not going to be that way when Washington goes to the Rose Bowl. It's kind of the opposite. And again, a, an opportunity for the Huskies, I think, to to kind of prove that they're legit, because no matter what kind of environment you get on a road game it's it's like you just said it's still a road game you know you're out of your routine and you know you're not you're not waking up in your own bed and everything and these games are are not easy to win regardless of who you play on the road that's why you see so many letdowns across the country I mean this is this isn't just a Pac-12 thing you know you can go to the Big Ten and and see teams go on the road and and lay an egg against teams that you'd expect them to beat so Washington does enter this game as the betting favorite you know it's it looks like the better team so far, but nothing's a given. But but if the Huskies do come out with this with a win, um, I, I think it's impressive nonetheless, and and obviously gives them a you know it continues a a solid start to Pac-12 play for them. A, a question came in on the Huskies, and we'll spend just kind of a, a surface level amount of time reacting to this because I think we could probably take up the rest of the show and maybe an entire other show talking about this. But uh, David Harper asked via the YouTube comments, which is one of the three ways you can get a question answered here on the show at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pack 12 or the Twitter accounts. DMs are wide open or hop in the YouTube comments. I monitor those daily. He said, obviously, with the COVID year, players get an extra year of eligibility. In regard, in regards to UW's quarterback situation, I actually don't know if English speaking wise, if that's supposed to be regards or regard. I just thought of that. But anyway, no one cares. In regard to their quarterback situation, Michael Penix is absolutely crushing it. True. But with his extra year of eligibility, do you see our highest ever quarterback recruit, Sam Heward, going to enter the transfer portal if Penix doesn't declare for the draft? It's a fascinating question, Carter, and it's a little bit of a postseason question, but the more Michael Penix looks really, really good, the more this question is probably going to loom as Husky fans think to the future, because I think there are two ways this could play out. Number one, Penix decides to come back and Heward does indeed enter the transfer portal because it'll be his third year not as the starting quarterback for the University of Washington, which is what he came there to do. Maybe he's patient enough. Maybe he's not. But the other thing to consider, too, is if Penix stays healthy 
for the first time in his career this season, which everybody would want to see. You never want to see a guy just battle injuries every time he steps on the field. But if he stays healthy this year and he keeps throwing the ball around the field like this and is 300 plus yards a game, one of the best statistically in the Pac-12 so far, he could very well declare for the draft. I don't think he'd be a high pick, but I see some of the guys who get picked up as backup quarterbacks in the league or signed to a practice squad deal. And if Penix keeps looking this way, yeah, you could put his name in that in that conversation, maybe be that sort of player. It's a question that I think you and I kind of pondered a little bit in the preseason too, when we were looking at this Huskies team and saying, okay, well, what if Michael Penix does live up to what he did in that COVID year at, at Indiana? You know, what does that look like? And and how do Dylan Morris, Sam Heward, et cetera, think um, the rest of their career might play out at Washington? And at the time I said, you know, if, if Michael Penix does put together a solid season, um, you know, maybe a Sam Heward thinks, all right, well, I'm not going to get an opportunity here in the near future. Let's go uh, take the Jake Hayner route and then see what I can do at another school. And I, I think Jake Hayner has kind of laid the blueprint for for that at, at Washington. You know, we saw Dylan Morris. I, I think it was the Dylan Morris um, freshman season that that pushed Hayner to the portal, if, if I'm not mistaken. It could have been a year before that, too. But um, no, it's it's interesting. And the point you make about him potentially leaving, too, I think is... Um, I, I think it's fitting because what Michael Penix has done so far, I mean, he's leading the Pac-12 in a couple of categories. He's right up there in the FBS ranks, I think, in passing yards or passing touchdowns. Um, that is like that's the kind of player you see declare for the draft a year early at, at that position. And so if he keeps that up. I think you see an opening at the quarterback position in, in Seattle next year. And so, you know, that becomes a little bit more alluring for, for Sam Heward to, to stick around, but it would take a, a dramatic drop off from Penix, I think to lose this job this year. And um, yeah, if, if he just kind of, you know, if he just kind of lingers and, you know, he's just kind of an average quarterback, he probably holds on onto that job. But then at the same time, he hasn't done enough. Uh, for the NFL scouts to say, all right, yeah, we want to draft this guy. And at that point, you know, that's when you see Michael Penix come back. That's when these questions start to really loom and you say, all right, well, is, is Sam Heward good enough to take that job from a quarterback who put put together an average season? I don't know. I I feel like I'm rambling here, but yeah, it, it goes to your point of, yeah, we could probably have a full half hour conversation <laughs> on this because it's not just limited to Washington. This is a college football wide yep. dilemma that we are seeing in this new era with the transfer portal being wide open. And it's not just with quarterbacks, too. You can have this yeah. conversation at, at any position, which you know makes it interesting for, for guys like us. But I know that some fans grumble about that from time to time. And frankly, I can't blame them because oftentimes I I feel that way, too. I am a sports fan. I am a college sports fan. I think everybody knows where, where my allegiances lie. And there are moments where guys enter the portal and I go, darn, I wanted to I want to see that guy, see what he had. But it's it's just the, the era that, that we're living in now. Let's go over to Washington State and Cal, and this will kind of transition into our, our Pac-12 prime picks to to wrap up this Friday edition of the show as usual. But Cougars in a big spot here. I don't think this is as important of a game for Cal because, generally speaking, expectations for the Golden Bears are low. They got a conference win, right? I mean, being four and one and beating Washington State, yeah, that put them in a really good spot. But I don't think it radically shifts their season. Washington State right now is trying to go out in Pullman this week and prove 
that they belong in that category of teams that are making the leap to, you know, maybe not necessarily be a Pac-12 contender, but could be one day perhaps. And you see it and you're like, boy, it looks like they're just not that far away. And if that's going to happen for Washington State, I think they've got to have this game against Cal at home. This game's really going to test the psyche of the Cougars, I think. You know, after the way they lost to Oregon last week, the disappointment there, the absolute heartbreak and the letdown, can they get up to face an opponent like California that, you know, I, I think I think we all agree that Washington State's better than them, but it's not an inspiring opponent like Oregon is. And so when you're coming off of a defeat like that and, you know, you're just, you're emotionally wrecked after the way you lost that game, you know, how do you bounce back? It's very similar to, to looking at Oregon State going to Utah. You know, this is, it's a bounce back spot for a team that lost a heartbreaking game. Washington State gets a much cushier opponent to do that against than Oregon State does. And I, I think that's kind of a double-edged sword because, you know, Washington State, I, I, I would imagine Jake Dickert's going to get his team fired up to play anybody. But I think it's probably a little bit harder to do that against a Golden Bears team than than Utah. You know, I think Oregon State's fired up to go into Salt Lake City and and prove something. But the Cougars, after losing a game like that, you know, how how excited are they to to go out against a, a Golden Bears team? I don't know. I think Let's it's get, I, I think it's kind of a mind game type of type of match. Yeah. No, I I completely agree with you that when you had a chance to to knock off a team that's been to you know three Pac-12 championships in the last four years or so, or the last, I don't know, everything's all jumbled together and whatnot. But like every, everyone knows what Oregon has been in the Pac-12 conference, and you you had them, you, like you had them beat. Oregon fans had accepted defeat in that game. And then all of a sudden you look up and the defense allows a fourth down conversion. The defense allows a touchdown. Offense goes three and out, allows another touchdown. And then you throw an interception all in just a few minutes. And it was just, you played 95% of a game that you need to win. But it was that last 5% ultimately that, that knocked Washington state off in that one and gave them their first loss uh, of the year. But now, now they have a bounce back chance. Let's piggyback on that and go right into our Pac-12 prime picks. Uh, I guess my Pac-12 prime picks uh, of the week. I'm hoping to keep things rolling here, Carter. Three picks every week, three straight winning weeks after the disastrous 0-3 beginning, but a 3-0 after that, couple of 2-1 showings, and Oregon very nearly had the backdoor cover. They were two seconds away from a from a backdoor cover there, but... Nevertheless, it's another winning week and my favorite pick of the week. I think I was going to pick this up until it was around, even if it got to like seven or eight, I think anything under 10, I would have taken Washington state, just like we were talking about. I think Jake Dicker early in his tenure is going to be testing his guys all week in practice and say, we gave that game away, but we showed that we are good enough to play with that team over there that has been to several Pac-12 championships in the last few years. We're good enough to do that. Let's go out and show it this week. I'm only giving up four, taking the Cougars here at home in Pullman. So back-to-back games that they get to play in front of their home fans. I think the Golden Bears offense is going to be in for a rude awakening after popping last week, led by a stud running back, the freshman Jaden Ott, who went for 274 yards. That was against Arizona. And this Washington State defense is much, much different. They make plays, they cause havoc, and I think this is going to be a game that Washington State 
wins something like 27 to 10. Yeah, I think we can look at what California did last week and be impressed. But you do have to remember that Arizona, while it is a lot better than it was last year, and I think it's, you know, even last year is better than its 1-11 record. Agree. Um, it's, its defense is still very suspect. And and really, I mean, that whole team has so much to to build um, before it's it's at the caliber that we can expect it to take care of business against against California. You know, California is still the better team there. So um, it, it's not going to be easy for Washington State is, is what I'm saying. You know, Cal is still a solid team, but with the way Washington State has opened the year and, and with the fact that they probably should have beat Oregon, if not for a, a final five minute collapse or, or whatever it was there in, in that game, um, you know, I think I think we'd be talking about the Cougs as a double digit favorite here if if they had pulled that thing off. Yeah, I, I like a minus four and, and Cam Ward had his best game as an FBS quarterback. That transition that coming into the year, I thought might take a little bit of time. It did. And they didn't need him to carry him on the road in that big upset win against Wisconsin. But still, you know, we were asking the question like, well, is Cam Ward going to look you know, a little more comfortable, a little more fluid within the offense. And then he was up until the, the, the game ceiling interception there on a screen pass that is, you know, only got one option and he just didn't see the defensive end dropping. I'm not going to penalize him in a massive way for that. The other interception, the defensive back wrestled away from the wide receiver, not concerned there either. He made a lot of really good throws and great plays with his legs in that game to, to extend it. And I, I think Cal have a, a tough time tackling him because everybody will. So, Washington State minus four. That's my first pick. Then it gets interesting. Let's go to the other one where I like a favorite, and then I'll finally uh, close it with an underdog. USC at home against Arizona State. It's a big line, Carter. It's a it's a big line, but I I'm taking tro- the Trojans here minus twenty five. I think this could be forty eight to seventeen. I I the, the, I mean the, Arizona State might even not even score that much. You know they're probably going to turn the ball over against the Trojans defense. I think the Trojans could absolutely, at home, I wouldn't take this number on the road, but at home, I think they can blow the doors off ASU that's fledgling. Last week, I said I wouldn't touch the Sun Devils line with a 25,000-foot with a pole just because it's week one under an interim coach and you have and you no don't idea what you're going to get. Yeah. I mean, that team could go and upset Utah or it could go lose by 50, you know, and, and ultimately it did kind of get the doors blown off of it. So we're past that. Now we're we're into the part of the the season under an interim coach where I'm comfortable fading Arizona State, regardless of what the number is, regardless of the team they're playing, because this program is if it's not in shambles now, it it could be in, in shambles within the next couple of weeks. So I, I, I like USC to, to cover this thing and it, it could get out of hand very early. And I, I don't think the Sun Devils are going to put up a fight at all. Plus, USC, after their offensive struggles in Corvallis last week, going to be extra motivated to put up another big number, catch everybody's attention, and score a bunch of points. And think about it like this. ASU lost at home to Utah last week, 34-13. to So that's a 21-point margin in Tempe. Can USC yep. be five points better than Utah at home? I, I think the answer there is uh, is yes against this Arizona State team. And then lastly, I, I will preface this by saying for anyone who's, you know, trying to ride the hot streak potentially and, and get in on uh, the, the action here. And you should check out Bet Online for all of these lines and anything else that you need. Our, uh, our sponsor here at the Locked On Podcast Network. 
This is not necessarily a football bet because Colorado has done nothing to inspire through four games, as we've talked about. But Carter, they have been a two-touchdown or greater underdog in four straight weeks to begin the season. And they are 0-4 in their record. They're 0-4 against the spread. They're 17.5-point underdogs in Tucson against Arizona, who's got a superior offense, but whose defense, which struggled against a mediocre Cal offense a week ago mightily, can still be suspect at times. I cannot see. If Colorado can't cover 17.5 against that Arizona team, which is much improved but still a year away from being really good, then we have to talk about them as one of the worst Pac-12 teams in the history of the conference, quite, quite literally. And so I'm just taking it from a numbers perspective here, 17 and a half again, over two touchdowns. I've got the half point hook or else I might've taken Stanford plus 17 and a half, but I don't have it there. I've got it here and I'm, I'm putting the buffs in the pac 12 prime picks again. I like it. It's, it's a precedent play rather than a, you know, this team's probably not 17 and a half points worse than Arizona type play. Um, and I, I think that's, I think it's apt because, I mean, like you said, if, if Colorado really is two touchdowns and a field goal worse than Arizona, I mean, this is, this is that's still probably, a cover. That's two touchdowns that's and a field true. goal. That's still a cover. You go it's, out there, give me 30, 34, 17. That's a cover. Yeah. Yeah, but if that is the case, I mean, I think we're talking about Colorado as as potentially the worst team in in college football at that point. Because, I mean, if if it get, if it can't cover a spread that large against an Arizona team that reminder won one game last year and still has has so much work to do, um, you know, we were talking about Arizona last year as being one of the worst teams in college football, and if if Colorado is really that much worse than that team a year later, uh, the Buffs are are probably not winning a game this year. And nobody wants to see that. Like, no. you know, teams have down years, but no one deserves to be 0-12 at the Power 5 level. Carter Baines, senior editor and writer at beaverblitz.com. Nobody wants to go through a week where you don't come on the show, my friend. I certainly don't want to live in that sort of world, so I appreciate you taking the time as always. Absolutely. I appreciate everyone listening. Enjoy the football this weekend. I will see you next time, and as always, have a wonderful rest of your day.